It was 11 o'clock at night. It was dark. We left a lot later than we had expected. We were visiting in the home of some Mexican friends. The city was new and unfamiliar. A large city, seven million people. We had 30 minutes home through the city. That evening at the apartment of our Mexican friends, as the window was open, the lightning was flashing and it began to rain. And I've lived most of my life in the West, and we very rarely saw thunderstorms like this. It began to rain, torrential rains and lightning and thunder, and, and then it seemed to back off a little, and finally it seemed appropriate for us to leave. And so my wife and I took off in our little minivan that we drove from Washington down to Guadalajara, and we were headed following the GPS back to the little apartment that we had rented a few months ago. As we drove down these paved roads in the city, I noticed the traffic had largely subsided and there was water on the road. As we drove farther, the water got deeper on the road. And as we drove further, the water became deeper. And these were three or four lane roads, large major roads. And we came to a roundabout called the Glorieta in Mexico. And the water was just raging from the the other side of the roundabout where we were planning to go off in the distance. It was coming down the street, and I was starting to feel funny driving. It was, uh, I was scared to stop, and, and Melanie began to pray out loud, and, and I, I went around the circle once because I was afraid to go on. I couldn't see any lights up there. No one was driving up there. I saw a couple of stalled cars out in the dark in the middle of this water running past our wheels. I felt like I was about to start to float. I kind of bumped up on the edge on the curb and, and thought maybe that'd get me high enough, but I, I, that didn't feel right or feel safe either. And so, so I took off again and tried to gun the motor and, and keep going. And I thought any moment the water's going to be flowing in the doors. And I took off another direction that looked like there was some lights up there, a different direction than what we were supposed to go to get home. But as I drove a little bit and it was raining hard and I couldn't see very well and the windows were fogging up probably because all of that water underneath. We rolled down the windows and tried to peek outside and I saw a, a great big looming building and, and kind of a parking lot with some high ground there. So I just lunged up there. I didn't know where I was. I just lunged up on that high ground and, and thought I'll just regroup for a little bit and figure this out and and so as I looked and we paused and rolled down the windows and prayed and wondered what to do next, I began to look more at that building and I realized this building is a, is a hotel. And it didn't take me very long to figure out what I was going to do next. I told Melanie, I'm going to go see if I can get a room here. I don't want to go back out in those streets with the water running. We were up off of the, the water. And I went inside and it was a nice hotel and it was an expensive hotel, but it was pretty cheap to me right then. And so I bought a room for the night, and they had parking on high ground, and, 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 and we regrouped. We felt a little bit of safety. By morning, the water had subsided. But I remember 
the sense of danger and of uncertainty. And I didn't know where I was and exactly where we were going. And I didn't know how many low spots there were between where we were and where our home was that we had rented. And I was getting pretty concerned in a city in Mexico, unfamiliar to me, to be stranded out there in the middle of the night. Tonight, as I thought about that, my mind went back to to when I was a boy. And I grew up in central California. And there's a canal system through the central valley of California. The Modesto Irrigation District and the Turlock Irrigation District and the Oakdale Irrigation District and hundreds of miles of canals. Some of them are large canals. And I can remember as boys, sometimes we would go swim in the canals. I don't know if that's done as much anymore as what it was back then. But I can remember the signs, the warning signs on the edges of the canal. Danger. Usually it was in English and Spanish. Danger. Peligro. Be careful. You may drown. Slippery banks. Swift cold water. Things like that. Stay alive by staying out. Especially in some areas. I remember the horror of hearing that someone drowned in the canal. Someone got caught in a pipeline. Someone tumbled over the weir and didn't make it. Dangerous water. Dangerous water. Tonight, the title of the message is just that. Last words. Perilous waters. Perfect tools. Perilous waters and perfect tools. We want to look tonight together at the third chapter of 2 Timothy. This week, as we have been looking at this last letter of the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, Monday night we took a look together at chapter 1 of what we know to be the Apostle's last words that we have recorded. You'll remember with me that last words are important. Last words are critical. When people know that they're giving last words, and Paul did know that, We'll see that tomorrow night when he says, I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. He knew these were some last words. He knew it was getting close. And when people give last words and they know they're giving last words, they don't waste time on foolishness or frivolity like the brother spoke about this afternoon. They speak things that are important, that are critical. And that's what our apostle Our beloved brother, Paul, has spoken to us in this last letter, this second epistle to Timothy. So Monday night, we considered last words, I'm not ashamed. We looked at faith fathers. We looked at fire fanners. We looked at a sense of eternal purpose. And we looked at being an unashamed soldier. Then Tuesday night, we took a look at chapter 2, and we talked about last words, son, be strong, daughter, be strong. And we talked about there being strong in grace and being approved unto God and, and being vessels unto honor. Tonight, we want to look at this third chapter. We want to talk about last words. Perilous waters, perfect tools. As we look at this chapter, we'd like to look, first of all, at last day's warning. 
Last day's warning. That's in verse 1. And we want to look at last day's attitudes. Last day's attitudes in verses 2 through 4. Then we want to look at last day's religion in verses 5 through 9. And finally, we want to conclude in verses 10 through the end with a last day's tool chest. Last day's tool chest. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, tonight we have a great need of your presence. Lord, we want to say thank you for your faithful word. Thank you for your servant, the Apostle Paul, who preached without fear, who wrote without fear. Tonight we have these words for us here in 2019 in the middle of Iowa, United States of America group of young people and some of us that are older, Lord, and we need to hear your word. We realize these last words of the apostle were not his words, but they were inspired by you. And they are for us tonight. Lord, would you open our hearts? Tonight, I pray that you would drive back fear, drive back intimidation, that would keep us from responding. Drive back, Father, prejudices. Drive back all the things, the distractions, worries about what others would think, fears of our own inadequacies. Father, drive back anything that would hinder your word, and may the word of the Lord have free course and be glorified tonight. And I pray that, Lord, that you would Grant your servant an humble heart and a clear mind and a ready tongue to faithfully proclaim your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when I was a boy in California, we would take a Sunday afternoon drive. I can remember in particular one Sunday afternoon with a family that, that I often spent time with. And after church, some of the families put a picnic together and we drove to the west over to a gigantic canal called the California Aqueduct. Maybe some of you have been there. There's big roads. There are areas where you can ride bicycles. Some people fish in it. It's a great big canal. And it's dangerous. And it has, in some areas, it's fenced and barricaded. And in other areas, you can, you can walk on the bank alongside of it. But the California Aqueduct, I remember we used to hear about it being one of the largest canals in the world. And it carried a tremendous volume of water, hundreds of miles for irrigation and for other purposes. The California Aqueduct. And I can remember some of those signs, steep, slippery banks, danger, you may drown, perilous Waters, perilous weirs, which were where they would block the water and, and it would drop down to another level. Careful, danger, many signs. Tonight, that's what we have in the third chapter of Second Timothy. We have some of the last words of the apostle, and we've titled this chapter, Perilous Waters, Perfect Tools. Would you stand with me and let's read this 
short chapter together. It's not so very long. I'd like you to join me in reading the first two verses. And then in the last beginning at verse 14, read the last three verses with me. It's it's the last four. Beginning at verse 14, read through the end of the chapter. So read the first two and then the last four with me. And let's begin and let's read. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they that creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin, led away by divers' lusts, with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to remind you that in this final writing of the Apostle, he is giving his urgent exhortation to his spiritual son and younger brother Timothy and to us tonight, In 2019, right in the middle of Iowa, he's giving his urgent exhortation to stir the fire, to stand strong in grace, to not be ashamed, to defend the faith, to hold on to scripture, to preach and pass on the stewardship of truth to others who will then pass it on to others. Those are some themes that we see running throughout this final letter of the apostle. And whenever you take a look at At the text of scripture, it's very important to to read, to read individually. God's word can bless even if you uh, just select a verse or two anywhere and read it. God's word has power and it's able to bless. But I do want to encourage you to read not only individual chapters, but read books and letters and epistles as a whole. It's very healthy to do that. It's very edifying. It helps you get the whole picture. And as you do that, and if you begin to keep a journal or a notebook, or if you have a wide margin Bible like I do and room for notes, 
You begin to look for themes and maybe you highlight those themes as they reoccur and it's helpful and it, and it brings the, the scripture alive because tonight we're interested in the word of God. If I stand up here, just a, a boy that grew up in a conservative church in the West and, and give you my opinions and my perspectives and that, that has very limited value to you. But, it, but tonight, if together we can look at the unchanging, powerful, living word of God, that has value. And it has the ability to convict and to change hearts and lives. There is power in the word of God. I remember when I was a young man, an old elder who began to preach. And as he preached, he began to tremble as he spoke about the word of God and its power. And he talked about those two on the way to Emmaus who were walking with the living word. Jesus Christ, the one who was who became flesh and dwelt among us, this word who became flesh. He was the living word, and they didn't realize who they were talking to, who they were engaging with. And after their eyes were opened, praise God, their eyes were opened. Tonight, may it be that your eyes are opened. But after their eyes were opened, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? That's the way it is with the word of God. When we give our opinions or our ideas, there's... Sometimes some value there, but it doesn't have heart-burning power. Sometimes there's very little value there, actually. But when we look at the Word of God, our hearts burn within us. That's my prayer tonight as we look at God's Word in this letter. That our hearts will burn within us. This letter that was written probably somewhere around 67 A.D., Maybe just a few months before Paul went to Nero's executioner's sword to have his head removed and go, as he said, and be offered. He said, I'm ready to be offered. Tonight, are you ready to be offered? If men come in the back door, these double doors, and say, is this a Christian gathering? Everyone who's a Christian, stand to your feet because you're going to die right now. I want to know, are you ready to be offered? Are you ready? If you're not ready to be offered like the Apostle Paul, you need to listen carefully. And those of us who are ready, we also need to listen carefully to the words of the Apostle Paul tonight because he realized his time was at hand. The time for some of you, for me, may be very close at hand. I may have no idea how close my time is at hand. You don't either. But tonight we have the chance once again to hear the word of God together. So as we take a look at this scripture, we want to look at perilous waters and perfect tools. We want to look at last day's warning, last day's attitudes, last day's religion, and last day's tool chest. Let's begin by looking at a last day's warning, and it's found in verse 1. Just verse 1 for this first heading we have tonight. The apostle says this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. When I was a young man, I don't know how old I was, I was probably in high school perhaps. And I've shared this before, I like to share it, I like to encourage others. In this, fathers, young men, I'm still not exactly sure why he did it, but my father turned to me one evening and he had been reading in, in 2 Timothy, and he said, Son, before you go to bed tonight, I'd like you to, to memorize 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, it's not a very long chapter, 
And I had, it was sometime in the afternoon. I don't know when it was. And I don't know. I believe the Spirit of God gave him that moment. I don't know if he even remembers doing it. But somehow, it was the right time. And, and I, I felt something in me say, you know, I, I want to rise to that and I want to do the best I can. And so I went in my bedroom and for the next hours and hours, I wrote and I poured over and I studied Second Timothy chapter 3. And I don't remember how long it took, but I remember sometime that night, others had gone to bed and dad was still out sitting in his chair, probably reading his Bible. And I said, I think I've got it. And I don't know if it was perfect, but I quoted to him Second Timothy chapter 3. And I've had that, this chapter in my mind for years since, for the last probably 40 years since then. And I don't know how many times it has checked my step. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. That word perilous could be translated raging or dangerous. Raging times, dangerous times. Does that not describe the day we are in? Was not the apostle Inspired by the Spirit of God looking ahead and warning Timothy, in the last days, times are going to be dangerous. And I know it's easy for us, and, and maybe I've been guilty of that, saying, you know, some things have always been. Well, it's, it's always been like that. There's, there have always been temptations. There have always been struggles. But make no mistake about it tonight, young man and young woman, the Bible does, is clear that in the last times, it's going to get tougher. It's right here in the Scripture. In the last days... Perilous times shall come, dangerous times, slippery banks, cold, swift waters, dangerous undertoes and weirs. We do well to take the word seriously tonight. A last day's warning. Last day's warning. I want to give you tonight... Four scriptures to look at with me that speak about the last days. I want to reinforce what I've just told you, that the Bible's clear, that there's going to be danger, there's going to be uh, difficult times in the last days. Turn with me real quickly. You can learn to become a, a fast draw in the Word of God. I think I shared that with some of you in the past, but, but uh, when I was a young man growing up in California, there was a brother in the church and Believe it or not, he was a former fast draw champion of California and Nevada. When he was a young man, he, he entered competitions of, of drawing his pistol and shooting at a target. And I remember going to his house as a boy, and there were all kinds of trophies showing cowboys, bronze trophies with a man ready to draw his pistol. And that man passed away here just a few months ago. And I thank God, and especially in his older years, as he gave his life to the Lord and and learned to, to love the Lord Jesus. And he wasn't a, a deep student, but he had a simple faith and a love for others. And he turned from that fast draw. But tonight, I want to in, invite you to learn to be a fast draw in God's word. That's a much more powerful weapon than a Colt 45 or whatever it was that he used. I have no idea what kind of pistol. But a, a fast draw in the word of God. I've found myself just a little fumbly lately because this is my old Bible that I've had for some years, but now I'm using a parallel Bible, a Spanish-English Bible. And, and I, I just find I'm all thumbs when I try and find uh, what I need to find. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to learn to, to be fast draw with a Spanish Bible now, but that's quite a bit harder for me. But tonight, I just want to invite you, and it's okay if you're not there yet. You know how you get there? By practicing. 
And I often share this too. There's a brother and his wife that are part of our fellowship there at home in Washington State. And uh, when they first came 20 years ago, uh, they've shared this since. I, I love to share this because it's been such an inspiration to me. They said, one of the things we enjoyed and that was new to us, they had been a part of some other church settings in times past, but they said one of the things that we noticed was the sound of rustling pages. It was a new sound, the sound of rustling pages. When the scripture was called, people were turning to it. They wanted to see it for themselves. The sound of rustling pages. May that continue. The sound of rustling pages among God's people. Turn with me quickly to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, we're talking about a last day's warning. Matthew 24. I want to go quickly here, but I want to see some last day's scriptures. And there are many more, but I just want, to, want the, the, the reality of the perilous times to be in your mind. There's much here in Matthew 24, but I, I want to just begin here in verse 1 of Matthew 24, actually verse 3, and, and we'll look at a few verses here. We could jump down, and maybe I will. I want to just show you somewhere later here in, in Matthew 24. I don't see it just right now. It might be in 20, 24 or 25. I, I can't get the quote right now, but before we read the verses we do, Jesus says this, and, and it's also in Luke's gospel. It may be Luke's account that I'm referring to, but Jesus said this. As, he's, as the disciples are asking a question, that's the context for what I'm getting ready to read to you. The disciples came to Jesus, and he'd been doing a lot of teaching, and, and they were starting to wonder how this is all going to unfold, and, and so they had some questions. They actually had three questions, and they said, Lord, um, what shall be the sign of... of uh, when shall, the first question was, when shall these things be? When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Those are big questions. I can see why they asked them. That was the context that we're about to talk about or, or about to read just quickly. But I believe it's in Luke's gospel that Jesus says this. After telling them some things, he said this, behold, I have told you before. Now you think about that. Behold, I have told you before. Do you realize what a tremendous advantage it is to know something before? Jesus said, behold. Whenever you see that word behold in scripture, it always grips me. Behold. That means stop and take a look at this. Behold. Behold. Jesus said, behold, I've told you before. When you're told something before, you're warned. When you're told something before, you have the opportunity to be ready. And Jesus said, behold, I've told you before tonight. We've been told before. We're about to be told again. The Apostle Paul in this last letter to Timothy is telling us before about some things. When you're told before, you have a lot of advantage. There are going to be people that the Bible says, as a flood, it shall come upon all the earth. Perilous waters, which you've been told before. Now let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 24. I want to begin reading at verse 3 and read a few verses. We're looking at some last day's scriptures because section number 1 is called last day's warning. Jesus said as he sat on the Mount of Olives, verse 3 of Matthew 24, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, here's the three questions. 
When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, notice the first thing he said, take heed lest no man deceive you. That must be a real possibility or Jesus wouldn't have started with that. Take heed lest no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. We're talking about perilous waters tonight, my young brother and young sister and friend. Talking about dangerous, slippery banks. And so we need to pay heed to this. Jesus is telling us about some things that are, that are going to happen. Many are going to come saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Verse 6. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure it unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. I could continue reading, but I'm going to stop right there. I'm not here to try and, and explain details or timing of prophecy tonight. What I am pointing out is Jesus made it clear that it's going to get perilous in the last days. It's going to be dangerous. And he said, I've told you before. And when we're told before, we have the advantage of being warned. Let's look at a couple more scriptures here real quickly. First Thessalonians chapter five, maybe some of these for the sake of time, I'm going to quote, but you can look at first Thessalonians chapter five. If you want, Paul starts out in first Thessalonians five and he says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. What about you? Is there anyone here that's still of the night? Paul said, we're not of the night nor of darkness. That day doesn't have to overtake you like a thief or like a woman going into sudden labor and you aren't going to reverse it now. The times and the seasons, the Bible's clear. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, the letter before the one we're looking at, the fourth chapter, 1 Timothy, it's a familiar passage. I know you know it. He said now, and you can turn there if you'd like in, in, in fast draw fashion, but he says now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the last days, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. We're talking about dangerous waters, slippery banks, and, and strong currents tonight. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath, uh, hath ordained to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Latter times, the Bible's clear. Let's look at one more, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Take a look with me. I'm thinking about the need to be watchful because it is 
latter times. And Paul is going to speak about that tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, familiar passage. Ephesians 5, as we go down somewhere about, oh, let's look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, awake, wake up, you that are sleepy. Wake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Then he goes on and says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know what circumspectly means? Circumspect. That word circum has to do with a circle. It's looking all around in every direction, being aware, being alert, being aware of your surroundings. Remember, Jesus said, behold, I've told you before. I've told you before. So walk circumspectly, Paul said. Be aware of what's going on. Not like a fool, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That means grabbing a hold of the opportunity, redeeming the time, grasping the time because the days are evil. Tonight's time, one thing we have right now, it's almost 8 o'clock. Take a look at that clock over there. Time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Time is important. Time is critical. Time is not a, an unlimited resource. I grew up, well, I didn't grow up, but I've lived the last 26 years out in the state of Washington prior to this past year. And, and it's a, a state of a lumber and timber, and, and there's a lot of discussion out there about renewable resources and we want to make sure our resources are renewable so we don't log more than, than what the, the forest can produce, renewable resources. But I'll tell you tonight that time is not a renewable resource. It's not something that you can just plant more and plan on having some more. Time is critical. Redeem the time, Paul said, because the days are evil. Redeem the time. That means grab a hold of the time while you've got it because you may not always have it. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And he goes on, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do you think that's possible? I know one of the subjects this week has been a discussion of God's will. Is it possible to know what the will of the Lord is? Yes, it is. Don't be unwise, Paul said. There are a lot of people that are just plain unwise. They're not stopping to grasp the time and understand what the will of the Lord is. There may be details, as perhaps our brother taught of life that we have to seek God and, and wrestle with. But, but we need to understand what the will of the Lord is in terms of, of his word. Praise God. So section number one tonight, we, we want to talk about this last day's warning. Verse one, a last day's warning, perilous waters, slippery banks, strong currents. That's what the apostle says to his son, Timothy. And remember, he was writing some last words and he wanted Timothy a man, he said, I have no man like-minded like this young man. This was a man he trusted. It was a man he counted on, but he still wanted to warn Timothy. Timothy, in the latter times, it's going to get dangerous. You need to pass this on to the church. So let's go on. Let's take a look now at section number two, last day's attitudes. We've talked about last day's warnings. Let's talk about last day's attitudes. Verses two through four. Quite a list here. Look at them with me. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, he says. 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away, from such turn away. And that's getting on into our next section, but verse 2, 3, and 4, I want to especially think about right now for just a moment. So we think about last day's attitudes. Last day's attitudes. He starts out, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I think that's the basis for all the rest of the stuff that follows. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's a common phrase. It's all about you. It's all about you. Self. It's a selfie society. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, but he doesn't stop there. Covetous, that means greedy, just endless desire, never satisfied. And and these are very real. Paul is warning Timothy about these things. Brother, do you think that you don't need to sit up and think about them? What about you, sister? You think you're exempt from these things? Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, little inner raging desires for something that probably I don't need or shouldn't have. That's what covetousness is. It's endless desire. He goes on, boasters, boasters. Have we ever lived in a time where men were boasters like this? Boasters with their mouths and with their media. They boast. What about us? Boasters. Proud, he goes on. Proud. One thing's clear in Scripture, and that is that there is one thing that God gives a stiff arm, and that is pride. God resists the proud. I don't know how you're getting along in your Christian life, but I'll tell you what. One thing I don't want is God's resistance. I need God's help. And if I have a proud heart or a proud spirit or a stubborn, proud demeanor, I'm getting his stiff arm. God resists the proud. He is determined. He has declared it. He has decreed it. He resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I I want grace from God. He gives grace to the humble. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Blasphemers, that's just scandalous speech. It's speaking lightly and disrespectfully about things that are things of God. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. It's a spirit of rebellion. Unthankful. I thought about talking just for a while on that because I think it's a big deal. Unthankful. I want to encourage you tonight. Whatever your struggle or frustration is in life, and and if you have them, if you have something that you're really wrestling with, I want to encourage you to cultivate. Look for areas in which you can pause and just be thankful. A thankful spirit because it's a last day's attitude is to be unthankful. And it leads leads to a whole host of other sins. Unthankful, unholy. Unholy is unclean. It means unseparated. It means just just live in common. But God calls us to be holy. Be holy, Peter says, quoting the Old Testament, for I am holy. Holy means sanctified and set apart. I want you to think about this tonight. As you think about the, the biblical principles that call you to live a separated life. Sometimes we talk about biblical separation. 
But I want to tell you something tonight. To be separate is to be special. When you're separated for God, you're special. All the vessels of the, of the sanctuary in the Old Testament that were to be sanctified, they were to be holy because they were for a special use. So don't think of separation as kind of this negative, this negative no concept. It's actually a, it's actually a really exciting concept. To be separate is to be special. Unthankful, unholy, but people... In the last days, Paul said, are going to be unthankful. They're going to be unholy. They're going to be without natural affection. We could talk about that. You know about that as well as I do. All kinds of people. Maybe there's someone here that struggled with unnatural affections. Is there a place for you? There's help for you, my friend. I had a young man tell me with tears in his eyes. He wept hot tears on my shoulder. And he said, don't ever, don't ever assume that in a conservative crowd, there isn't someone like me that has the struggles that I've had. I resolved in my heart I'd never assume that again. There's help. But there's a tendency in latter days for all sorts of unnatural affection and just the lack of natural affection, people who don't care about their children, about babies, about others, and and all kinds of perversions. Satan wants to get in to that which is natural and pervert it and, and turn it strange. And it's progressive and it gets worse and it gets a grip, but there's deliverance. We have a gospel tonight that's powerful enough to set men free. Praise God for that. Without natural affection, truce breakers. That's, uh, remember, the Bible talks about those who swear to their own hurt and change not. Swear to their own hurt and change not. That's different than our society. There's always an asterisk in the contract or something, some way, or an attorney that maybe can get a person out of it. But what about us? Truce breakers whether it's in a very difficult marriage covenant or in some other kind of promise or commitment that's going to cost me. Are you a truce breaker or a man of your word? False accusers. God hates false accusing. Jesus was accused falsely. Incontinent. That that word means no control, just without control. You know, and I'm speaking to young people tonight, that, that an older person that's that's considered incontinent, doesn't have control of their natural function. But what's far worse than that is a young person that is incontinent, no control. And the Spirit of God tonight can empower you by the grace of God and give you control. We don't have to live incontinent. But it's a tendency of the last days. Men and women and young men and young women are just incontinent, no control. Incontinent, fierce, that's mean, savage. Despisers of those that are good, looking down on what is wholesome and valuable. To despise doesn't always mean like we think it does in an in a, a angry, vengeful way. It can just mean to lightly regard something. To despise something can mean to count it of little value. Esau despised his birthright. He just didn't think it was that big of a deal at that moment. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, that's a betrayer. Heady. That's someone who's rash. The word literally means to fall forward. A heady person. They're so caught up in themselves. They're so rash. They're so brash. They fall forward. A heady person. High-minded. Enveloped in smoke. Look that word up sometime. High-minded. It's someone who's literally kind of enveloped in something. 
and full of self-conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know about all those things. I must hurry on. I'm talking about last day's attitudes, and they're right here in the Scripture, and you see them, and sometimes we wrestle with them. But I want you to know that God has deliverance for that. I want to make this comment yet before I leave this area. There is something that, that I thought of recently that just impacted me. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, we re- the apostle says something like this. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. I want you to know that there is something that the Bible calls the spirit of the world. And, and it isn't just a list of things that you should have or shouldn't, or, or, but there's a spirit of the world. And I see that in these last days attitudes. It's, it's a spirit. It's an attitude of the world. And we're going to see these last days attitudes. Jesus warned about it. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Last days attitudes. We've thought about last days warnings, last days peril, and now last days attitudes. Let's go on and think a little bit about last days religion, verse 5 through 9. Last days religion, look with me. Verse 5, he goes on and says, Uh, talking about these people that love pleasure more than love God. Verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest to all men as theirs also was. Last day's religion, perilous waters. Paul is warning in this chapter. There's no mistake about it. It's going to get dangerous in the last days, not only in in the attitudes of people in society, but, but even in the religious world. And he speaks about that here. Of this, well, he speaks about those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And you know, brothers and sisters, I believe that that can apply whether we're, we're taking a look at something that is very contemporary and, and, and has a, a Jesus sticker on it. And I'm not condemning Jesus stickers, but if that's all you've got is a Jesus sticker and, and I want to take him along with me, whatever I so choose, happen to do, whatever my life wants to do, I just want him kind of a brand that I'm a Christian on my life and I'm going to live like I want, but I'm a Christian. I want everybody to know that's to me, that's a form of godliness, but denying the life changing power thereof. But I think brothers, it's also possible whether we're contemporary or conservative. Sometimes as conservative people, we can also have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, the life changing power. And I believe there were times in my life I was guilty of that, having a form, but, but where was the power? Brothers and sisters, where's the power? Last day's religion, a form, form without power. In verse 6 and 7, he speaks about sinful, lustful learners. Look at it. Of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
ever learning but never able to come. This is last day's religion. I call these sinful, lustful learners. Beware of chasing after this and chasing after that. If there's ever been a time in history when there's opportunity for this kind of deceiving man and woman to creep into houses and lead people captive, it's today. There's a lot of inroads. There's a lot of routes in which someone can creep into your house or into your life and lead you captive. Be careful. Be careful. Last day's religion is what Paul is speaking about. And he says that it can happen. And, and you know, there's a simple practical protection for this. Paul told the Thessalonian church, he said, and we beseech you, brethren. Listen to this. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Know them which labor among you. Know your teachers is what he's saying. I'm not saying that you have to know all about every author of every book you ever... I'm not, I don't want to take this to a radical extreme, but I think there is a caution we need to have, especially when it comes to live media. Be careful. Know them. Of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin and men also led away by divers' lusts. Ever learning, ever learning. These people are learning, ever learning in fact, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he goes on and speaks about Janus and Jambres. History would tell us that these quite possibly were a couple of those magicians, Pharaoh's magicians in the time of Moses and Aaron. I think Hebrew tradition and history would say that's who these men were. I don't know for sure. Paul does list them here, Janus and Jambres. Remember, they were imitators. They were copycats. When Aaron would throw down his rod and it became a serpent, Pharaoh looked at his magicians. Let's see what you can do. And they threw down their rods and they became serpents. But Moses, Aaron's rod ate up their, their rods. I don't think they got their rods back. Copycats. Janus and Jambres were a couple of the leaders of those, and they resisted Moses. They wanted to try and mock. Moses had the power of God. These men wanted to kind of mock God's power, and they had some power. They could do some impressive things, but there was a limit. Remember, there are men out there like Janus and Jambres, is what he's saying, who also, like, just like those men resisted Moses, these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Reprobate means they don't stand the test. When it comes to, to truth and doctrine and the faith, they, they, they don't stand up to that. And they resist the actual truth. But they've got some pretty good copycat stuff going on. Be careful. Last day's religion. That's what Paul is talking about here in this area. And he goes on and says this. But, verse 9, they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest to all men as theirs also was. Their folly shall be manifest. It's going to be exposed in time. In time. Be careful. If the Bible, if the word of God is under scrutiny, young man, young woman, be careful. Love God's word. I think it's tremendous protection to love the word of God. To love the word of God. Proverbs 19 verse 27 says something like this. Cease, my son. I can't quote it exactly, but it's something like this. Cease, my son. To hear the words of him that is causing you to err from the way of knowledge. Stop listening to it, is what the, pro- the writer of the Proverbs says. <coughs> if it's causing you to err from the words of knowledge, 
cease to hear that instruction. Well, we have a great need, a great need of, of a love for the, God's word, a love for the truth, and there, there's such a protection in that. I want to mention this yet. Jesus said these words there in, in the latter part of his earthly ministry. He said, there are going to be people, and this, this is sobering to me. I remember when I was young, and, and I pray that it still will, that I'll never lose the edge of, of God's fear when I ponder this. But he says, there are those that God will send a strong delusion. You know what a delusion is? It's something that, that, that is confusing. It, it, it's, it's a perception that isn't right. A strong delusion that they should believe a lie. You want to believe a lie? But, but here's the thing. You may think, well, why would God do that or allow that? Or well, what about that? But here's what Jesus went on to say. He said, because they received not the love of the truth. If there is anything, my young brother, that I could exhort you and my young sister, that I could exhort you, it is to love the truth. Receive a love of the truth. Resolve right now. I am going to love the truth. I want the truth. I want the truth. I'm going to love it even when it costs, even when it's difficult, even when it's costly. I want the truth. I don't want a strong delusion. I don't want to believe a lie. Love the truth, my beloved. As we talk about last day's religion, we've considered the last day's warning Last day's attitudes, last day's religion. Now let's look in conclusion at the last day's tool chest, I like to call it. Look with me here. Beginning at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Paul says, first of all, he speaks of his example. And I want you to notice that word, but. He interrupts a couple of times with, but. And I don't know exactly how that comes from the translation, but, but it's, it's an interruption. It's saying, but wait a minute. After I've told you all this, Timothy, but. A little later, we're going to see that word again. But, but you have fully known, Timothy, my doctrine and my manner of life. Remember, we talked the other night about what it might have been like to travel with Paul. Timothy, Timothy knew, did know Paul's manner of life. He knew what time Paul got up in the morning. He knew what Paul had for breakfast. He knew how Paul packed his clothes or how, how many clothes he had. Maybe he didn't have any to pack. Maybe it was just what he was wearing. He knew what kind of sandals Paul wore. He, he knew about, he knew Paul. And, and Paul could well say, Timothy, you've fully known my doctrine, first of all. Doctrine is teaching. That's what doctrine is. It's teaching. You know what I teach. And furthermore, you know my manner of life. Oh, God. That he could so empower us in this generation that we could say with confidence and humility to the next generation, you've known my doctrine and manner of life. Powerful when you have doctrine and manner of life. And he goes on and expounds some of those purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. I like that first one, purpose, purpose. Tonight, some of you that are struggling, I want to tell you that, that if you could find purpose, find that grand yes, purpose will solve so many other 
lesser decisions, so many other lesser distractions, so many other struggles and temptations will be solved when I have purpose. And Paul said, Timothy, you've known my doctrine and my manner of life. Purpose, faith. I know, remember we talked about it the first night. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. It's not a joke with me. It's not just some idea with me. I know it. I'm persuaded of it that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Purpose, faith, long-suffering. Would you have liked to travel with Paul? Maybe someone here is thinking, oh boy, you knew my struggles. I wouldn't want to be with Paul. I can tell you, you would want to be with Paul. Long-suffering. This man cared about people. Think Timothy ever had a struggle? Have you ever thought about that? Suppose one night Timothy woke up, Paul, Paul, just was struggling a little bit today, some thoughts. Wonder if we could pray together. I have an idea. Paul woke right up. Let's pray, Timothy. You ever thought of these were real men? These were people just like you and me. Long suffering. It'd be all right. You you could share with Paul. And, and you can share with brothers here tonight, too. It's all right. Purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience. And not just that, but persecutions and afflictions, he says, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. You can read about those in Acts. You can read about those persecutions. What persecutions I endured, he said, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Might as well count on it. I think of this from time to time. I don't really like it. I'm not excited about persecution. Oh, maybe, maybe I experienced a little mockery. There might have been a few times I was laughed at a little bit, but I haven't experienced really much persecution. Maybe there needs to be more godliness in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's coming. I don't know. But I want to encourage you to be ready and to follow Paul in his doctrine and in his manner of life. Persecution, I believe it will be coming more and more as time goes on. The the worsening world conditions are certainly upon us. But let's go on. We're in this last area, the last day's tool chest. Look at verse 14. Christian continuation, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We're talking about a last day's tool chest. You know, there's something about when he says continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. I just want to give a word here before we go on. I want to hasten to a conclusion here tonight. But there's something about the courage to continue on that is contagious. I just want to bless you, young women of God, as you continue in the doctrine and faith and life of Jesus Christ with a joy and with a glow. And brothers, as you stand up and continue, thou therefore, my son, be strong as you continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them. There's something contagious about that. You remember when Moses sent 12 men over into the promised land that God had promised to these people. That's why they left Egypt was to go to this promised land that God had promised for his people. But when they got right up to it, they just about got scared out. In fact, they did. 12 men went in and 10 men came back and said, yeah, it's a good old land. All right, but we can't, we can't, we can't go there. We can't do it. And the Bible says that they discouraged the heart of the people. 
Are you a, a discourager of the heart of the people, your brothers and sisters? Or are you like Joshua and Caleb who said, we're well able to take the land. Let's rise up at once and go. I have an idea even Moses was encouraged when he heard Joshua and Caleb give that report. You think Moses was beyond needing encouragement? There's something about when a man rises up and says, I'm in, that it encourages the heart of others. I know I've experienced it. God bless you. No wonder Paul told the Thessalonian church, now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. We live when you stand fast in the Lord. Continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. Remember Barnabas exhorted the church. Remember what he exhorted the church? The Bible says about Barnabas. I think it's the first time we really read about what he exhorted. It says he exhorted them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Encouragement of Barnabas. Well, let's go on and let's look at this last day's tool chest. He says, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Tonight, the scriptures are still able. If there's anyone unsaved here tonight, I want to tell you tonight, there's a book right here that is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in none other than Jesus Christ. Through faith that is in Christ Jesus, this book is able to make you wise unto salvation. And there are men and women of God here tonight who know this book and are able to lead you in the direction and, and, and in the path of salvation because this Bible is able to make men wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. <clears throat> Praise God for that from the Holy Scriptures. And I want to encourage you to memorization and to meditation and to shall I say, manifestation of your life, an obedient life. Memorize while you're young. Memorize. It's a secret. It'll, it, it's like equipping your tool chest with tools. Memorize. And even when we're older, we're not past it. It's not as easy, but we're not past it. I'm trying to memorize verses in Spanish now, and it's a little harder than it was when I was young memorizing them in English. But I, it's still possible, and I don't want to give myself excuses. Memorize. Help each other. It's a tremendous blessing. All scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for a correction, for instruction in righteousness. I want to think about this as we come toward a conclusion. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's breathed out by God. The inspiration of the Almighty gave men understanding to write the word of God. Various men, holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is not, Peter said, and I love his proclamation, we have not. Listen to this. We, anyone struggling with their faith? Listen to Simon Peter. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's a claim, isn't it? Praise God for that. What about John? What did John say? He that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. What about Paul? The gospel, what I, I didn't receive it from man. Neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. These men died for this word of God. It was breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's useful. It's living. It's active. It's available. It's effectual. For doctrine, that's teaching. For reproof, that's Correction, instruction, maybe a little bit of, of scolding even at times, reproof. It's, it's a clear word of rebuke. For correction, that word literally means a straightening up again. 
to, to straighten me up again, and I need the Word of God to do that. And instruction in righteousness, that's teaching, education, training, nurturing, that the man of God, the woman of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want you to think about being thoroughly furnished tonight. Ladies, can you imagine going to uh, having a recipe before you? I don't know if, if uh, all of you are, are cooks. We've certainly been staying with a very good cook these last few days. It's been a tremendous blessing. But imagine having a recipe before you, and you go to the refrigerator and, and, and into the cupboards, and, and none of the stuff's there. You're, you're not furnished. You're not equipped. Furthermore, it requires a mixer and, and requires spoons, and, and, and you go to the drawers, and there's nothing there. Contrast that with going to a fully equipped kitchen with a fully stocked refrigerator and pantry and everything's there. It's thoroughly furnished. It's got everything you need. I picture a little, a little child. I, I have some grandchildren that love to play with Legos. And have you ever seen a child get a little frustrated when, when it's only a part of a set and, and most of the Legos are gone? They, they can't make what they want to make because it's not thoroughly furnished. Thoroughly furnished. Men, what about a, a tool kit? I don't know what your various occupations are. I don't know if you sit in an office or if you go out and work on a job or work. I, I don't know. I've never been a very good. My older brothers were mechanical and, and able to do things, and my father was. And I was the youngest boy, and I felt like it kind of ran out till it got to me. But I, I don't feel like that's actually God. I think makes us the way he makes us. But still, I have a tool bag. I took it with me down to Mexico and I've needed it. There's, and, and when you're thoroughly furnished, it means you've got all the tools you need. And that's what we have tonight in the word of God. We have the tools that's here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God may be perfect. That's complete. That's equipped, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Praise God for that. It's totally stocked, totally tooled, ready. But now tonight, as we conclude, I'd like to ask you to get out a pen and paper because I want to encourage you to think about something a little bit. One that is thoroughly furnished for all good works is one that is ready. How are you doing with your readiness tonight? Are you thoroughly furnished for all good works? Is the way of salvation, is your own walk with God, are you in the grace that is in Christ Jesus or not? And if you are, even if you are, perhaps I'll say, are you furnished? Are you, is God's word a part of your life, a real part of your life? How are you doing with that? You know, Jesus told a parable that is very powerful, often quoted. It's called the parable of the sower. And Jesus said a sower went forth to sow and he had some seed and, and he sowed and there were different types of soil. We heard about that today. I believe the brother that closed the afternoon session today said something about soil that's ready and tilled. 
But how's your soil? You know, he talked about some that fell on, on, uh, by the wayside. And, and there were those that came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground and it didn't have much, it kind of had a little reaction, but it didn't last long. And, and some fell among thorns and it sprung up. But there was so much else there that it choked the word. And some fell on good ground. What about that? You know what Jesus said? You know, I guess probably the most sobering to me of, of all of those ground is the thorny ground. Because it doesn't say the ground wasn't, uh, wasn't fertile ground. It's just that there was other, other stuff in it. Thorns. So the word did spring up. But there was a lot of other stuff springing up too. And it was choking the word. Something about that word choke. It's a little scary. It's like drowning. Uh, drowning is a, uh, a fearful death to drown. Choking is also a fearful death. The Bible speaks of both of them, actually. Choke the word. And Jesus said when his disciples asked him about it, he said, you know what that is? He said, it's the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things that choke the word. It's a horrible death to the word of God. Choke it out. I want to tell you something that happened a few months ago in Mexico. One of the things I took down with me was a hummingbird feeder. And in our house in the city, like I told you, I've never lived in the city in my life until a few months ago. Now we live in a huge city. But I enjoy a little bit of God's creation. So I, I hung up that hummingbird feeder and sure enough, We've lived in two different places. The second place we live, I looked, it was exactly an hour and 30 minutes till the first hummingbird was feeding after I hung it up. And, and constant after that. But, you know, after about a month, as it, as it got toward fall, last fall, I noticed one day the hummingbird feeder's empty. Huh. So I filled it up. Hummingbirds were coming and they, they weren't finding anything. I could tell. So I filled it up, hung it back up. Back were the hummingbirds. Next day, I went, the, the hummingbird feeder was empty. Empty. What happened? I didn't think a lot about it. I filled it up again, and the hummingbirds were back. The next day, the hummingbird feeder was empty again. Now, it takes a long time. It takes a week or so of constant hummingbirds for us to make a dent in our hummingbird feed, the nectar. And, and I noticed kind of a, a little sticky down below, but I didn't think a lot about it until finally the next night we had had some guests and, and I had filled the hummingbird feeder that morning and, and another day and the hummingbirds were feeding. And then that night our guests had left and Melanie and I were sitting in the dining room. I had a little light on outside right there by the hummingbird feeder right by the window and, and I saw something swoop down and it bumped into that hummingbird feeder and I thought, what's that? And the windows were open because it was hot. And then something else, and all of a sudden I realized, bats. These are bats. They're swooping down, and they're, they're bumping into this hummingbird feeder. And I don't know about you, but I don't like bats. I went up to that. I, I slipped up, and I closed the window. I didn't want any bats in the house. These were big bats with big wingspans, big black bats swooping down one, and then another, and then another. And I did some research, and I found out that, sure enough, bats will steal hummingbird feed. They'll steal the nectar. We finally figured out a remedy for that, but not before we lost a lot of nectar and saw a lot of ugly bats 
stick their big red tongues down in and, and slurp out that feed. But tonight, there's something a lot more serious than bats stealing hummingbird feed. And I want to ask you, my young brother or young sister, what is stealing the sweet nectar of God's word in your life? What is it? Is there something that's stealing it from you? That's a lot more critical than a bat stealing hummingbird nectar. And I'm just going to I'm just going to share some things that I've written down. I I just want you to think about this. Is it my proud self-sufficiency and independence? Is it my negative critical spirit? Is it the difficulty I have in truly loving my parents? Is it the hard time I have in in respecting them or, or someone else that God has set up to give protection in my life? Is it something, maybe some area that I have hurt someone else that there's no way I can ever quite make it up? Is there hurt and resentment that I feel toward a brother or a sister or another relative? Is it my lack of real care for lost souls? Is it the nagging guilt I feel for for past biblically confessed sin? Is it my tendency to exaggerate and kind of shade the truth and, and be, or maybe even be just downright deceitful? Is it my secret longing for money or material success? Is it my bad feelings toward some other brother or some other person in the church? Or my frustration or anger at a neighbor or anyone else for that matter? Is it the humiliation that I still feel for some past public embarrassment? That I had to experience? Is it my feelings of jealousy that I wouldn't tell you, but I know they're down in my heart towards someone else, maybe someone in this room? Is it my lustful heart or a horrible, lustful habit? Is it my tendency toward a flaring temper? Extreme fear or reclusion or desire to, to hide from people and just kind of just, just kind of let me out? My manipulative or controlling spirit toward others. My secret heart addiction to fantasy. My focus on my appearance in the eyes of others, my things, my insecurities, my looks, my abilities, my reputation, my, my. Is it some deep longing desire that I've had and God seems to have withheld it from me? Is it the memory of the time that I know I was wronged? Is it my tendency to gossip? Is it my selfish hoarding stinginess? Or my inner politely masked rebellion? I'll do what I want. I don't need anyone else. I don't know what it might be. I don't know what is sucking the nectar of God's word out of your life. But tonight, I want to encourage you, if, if God has made something clear, write it down. It's between you and God. You write it down. You write it down. I want you to ask the Lord what you need to be doing with that tonight. Will you be willing to get on your knees? in this sanctuary tonight and lay your list or your item before the Lord? Would you be willing to do that? 
Will you be willing to open yourself to some counsel and a time of prayer? Would you be willing to do that? Brothers and sisters, the water's rising. This know also, the apostle said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. We have a tremendous tool chest available, but there's a thief. And Jesus said, this thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's nothing pretty about Satan's motives in your life. Nothing pretty about that. Look at his goals. His goals are not just to kind of, kind of slow you down. His goals are to steal and to kill and to destroy. But there's one tonight who says, but I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Will you stand with me for a word of prayer? After that, our brother's going to have a song. If there's a list in your heart that you would like to kneel down and lay before the Lord tonight, I want to invite you that this is the opportunity. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, tonight we're here before you. Lord, we desire that your Holy Spirit would touch each heart. You know the needs, Father. There's nothing hidden from you. You know what's stealing the sweet nectar of assurance and blessing and strength and equipping of your word. You know, Father, who needs the path of salvation. Tonight, would you come and do your work by your spirit for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. May remain standing and let's sing. During this song, if the Lord calls you to lay your list before him, this is that opportunity. There are brothers here who will meet with you and pray with you and give counsel to you. So you listen to this voice of the Spirit of God. I don't know what the bats might have been that have been stealing nectar. I don't know what the, but I know who the thief is. And I know what his goal is. But tonight, there's a greater one. There's one here tonight who has came so that you, that includes all of you, might have life and have it a lot more abundantly than what you've been having. God bless you. Let's sing.